Hi friends, this episode is a completely different format than what you've come to expect from Pondering Purple. A few weeks ago, the hosts of the Transformed and Transformational podcast asked me if I'd be open to an interview about MKs and TCKs, and of course, my response was an enthusiastic yes. They just released our conversation last week, and I'm sharing it here with you today. It goes without saying that 40 minutes is not enough time to fully unpack the complexity of MKs and TCKs, but we gave it our best shot. We covered a lot in that time span—relationships, belonging, goodbyeing, the Last Supper, and even a bit about surviving a pandemic— at the very least, I hope we began a longer conversation that you can continue in your own families and communities about the richness and challenges of growing up between worlds. As you listen to this unconventional episode, I hope you'll find some new nuggets of truth and understanding in what you hear. As always, please share this in your networks if you think it could benefit others, and don't hesitate to reach out to me if you'd like to chat some more on any of these topics. I'll post my contact information in the episode notes, as well as a link to Teach Beyond's Transformed and Transformational podcast, so you can listen to more of their material. So, here's my conversation with Heather and Kean. Welcome to Transform and Transformational. I'm Kian. And I'm Heather. We're here to explore what it means to be transformed in our own lives and what it can look like for us to be used by God to make an impact. Michelle Phoenix went to Wheaton College for a Bachelor of Arts in Communications. She then served at Black Forest Academy, and she is also the author of five published novels. Uh, Fragments of Light is her newest book, and Of Stillness and Storm is the one that most closely connects to the topic today. And it's about missionary families. Yeah, and Michelle's ministry is advocating for missionaries' kids, serving missionaries' kids. Today, we're going to be talking with her about this topic of third culture kids. And when we talk about a group of people like third culture kids, we know we're going to have to make generalizations and that the experiences we're talking about aren't shared by all TCKs. However, knowing what the majority tend to experience can be helpful as we serve TCKs. Excellent. We are really excited about this conversation. Uh, let's go over to it now. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you with us today. Thanks. I love being here with you. Well, Michelle, you're known around the world as an advocate for TCK's third culture kids. So let's actually just start there. What would be some examples of reasons that people might fall into that category of third culture kids? What are some yeah. of the types, I guess? There are lots of subcategories. So MK is the one that I fall into, missionaries kid. Um, some people will say missionary kids, but I like to say missionaries kid because they're the children of missionaries, not necessarily missionaries in their own right. Um, diplomats kids, businessmen's kids, uh, people who work for NGOs, any child who has spent a significant number of his or her formative years in a culture other than their passport culture will qualify as a third culture kid. So you're also saying if it's no matter what your first culture is and your second culture is, this third culture, people who don't share the same first and second culture might still find culture shared within each other. 
Yeah. The third culture is actually a collective term. It's the group of us that all belong together. It isn't an individualistic term, although it can be used for that. It's fun to ask a third culture kid, you know, draw what your three cultures look like or what your multiple cultures look like. But in the actual definition of the term, it's the collective of all of us who were raised cross-culturally. Now, you use a term in, well, your podcast is called Pondering Purple. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you came to that title and how that relates to TCKs. Well, a lot of people assume that it's a political term, actually, because oh, in funny. U.S. politics, you know, the, uh-huh. the GOP, the, the conservative and the liberal or whatever, it's blue and red. And so people are talking a lot about purple these days in a sense of uh-huh. unifying the extremes. For me, it's a sense of the two colors that come together, my passport culture, my um, adoptive cultures and how they come together and blend into my now we're talking about the individual identity that I have from my specific assortment of cultures. For me, the the time in my life that I became most clearly aware that I was a third culture kid before the term I think had been coined or or at least become kind of a universal terminology was when I went from my French school systems to a place called Black Forest Academy in Germany, which is a school for missionaries kids and some third culture kids, some business kids and diplomats kids as well. And walking into that environment in ninth grade, so I was what, 14 years old? is the first time that I understood that there were others like me out there. They weren't exactly like me. They spoke different languages than I do. Um, They had been raised in different contexts than I was. But there was a sense walking into that building on the first day that my differences were similar to their differences and that I wasn't weird. I was a TCK. And there was great kind of comfort and recognition in that experience. Kind of like a sense of belonging that you you found your... You're similar people. Absolutely. And you'll talk to, if you talk to adult TCKs who are maybe in their 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond, and you ask them when they most strongly felt that sense of belonging in their lifetime, many of them will point back either to the MK school they went to or to the community that they grew up in with other TCKs. Do you have any advice for parents of kids like kids who are TCKs, MKs, who just see their kids not feeling a sense of belonging what advice would you give them? Yeah, it's a hard question. And and one of the misconceptions is that adults who have grown up their entire childhood and teen years and early adulthood in one culture and move to a different culture, that they will somehow become TCKs themselves. But there's a real... Um, kind of significant difference between an adult who is really embedded and anchored in one culture moving to another one and a child growing up with all of these different cultural inputs shaping him or her during their formative years. So the first thing I would say to parents is you probably don't really understand at a gut level what it feels like to be a TCK, what your children, how they view themselves in relationship to the world around them. And then when it comes to this 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 belonging or lack of belonging, I call it unbelonging, I think it's important for us to shift the conversation just a little bit away from the fact that, yes, as human beings, we are wired to belong. We seek belonging and the comfort of that and the community of that. But for TCKs, their greatest strength is actually in mostly belonging in multiple places. Full belonging actually reduces 
their skill set. And mostly belonging in multiple places increases their skill set. It makes them bridge ba- uh, bridge builders. It makes them adaptable. It gives them these, these multiple languages. It gives them this sense of the differences and similarities between places of extreme belonging. They can kind of live on the outskirts of belonging. And that's where they're most of most use to their small circles and sometimes on a global scale to the larger circles. Are there things, as you think about um, the broad definition of third culture kids or missionary kids in particular, are there things that might catch someone by surprise or need some explanation? Yeah. Um, The rest of my life narrative is having been born in France, gone to French schools, went to Black Forest Academy, returned, quote unquote, to the States for college. It was not really a return. It was adding a new culture to my to my um, identity because I really had never lived in the States. Then I went back to Germany and I taught for 20 years at Black Forest Academy. And that's where, as an adult, I began to have the adult perspective on what it means to be a TCK. And as an adult in a classroom, I think it becomes, in a different way, it becomes evident. So some of the things that I noticed in my students, parents are going to notice in their children as well. And just the broader missionary community or expat community might notice it as well. The first thing um, that I think is evident for somebody just walking in off the street into a BFA type place, a Black Forest Academy type place, is the nature of the relationships that MKs and TCKs have with each other. It is intense. Um, George Durant, who used to be the director of Teach Beyond, was my history teacher, my 11th and 12th grade years at BFA. And I, and my parents were teachers there, too. And they tell the story of him walking into the staff room and saying, why are these kids hugging all the time? Why are they so, like, glued to each other in a relational sense? And to understand that, we need to understand the high mobility of the mission field and the and the expat world. And because either we are moving constantly or people around us are moving constantly, we live with the expectation that one of us is going to leave at some point, often unexpectedly, and that our time together might be limited and we don't know when it's going to end. So there's an intensity um, that goes into meeting somebody that looks like us and talks like us. And we have all these other points of commonality and we want to go as deep as we can as fast as we can and not waste a moment of the time that we have together. So for an external person to walk into that world and try to connect with TCKs, um, when their connecting is already so bonded and so tight, it's just going to take a little bit longer. And sometimes proving that we're going to stick around for a while might actually help with that. And in the classroom, you just, you, I have one uh, gentleman who comes to mind. Um, he was from Spain, an MK from Spain. And Every day, almost in the classroom, he would contradict me or challenge me in front of his peers. And I mean, I would do the normal teacher thing. Here's a detention. Here's a, you know, docking your grade until I sat down with him and said, why are you doing this? And he said, well, that's how you get the good grades in Spain. You know, where I come from in the school system I was in, I needed to be this way in order for the teacher to notice me. So once we had that conversation and talked about the more North American um, kind of education that he was getting in this place, then he was was able to adjust and I was able to call him out when I needed to and say, this is not appropriate in this circumstance. It is in other places. Right here, it is not. 
And then we have MKs who come from places where there's a shame and, and honor culture, and that as well plays out in the classroom and outside the classroom. It plays out on what they're willing to talk about. If there's depression, if there's anxiety, some of those shame honor cultures, cultures won't be as willing to speak of that. Um, I can remember students acting like the world was over because they got an almost failing grade, and I couldn't understand why they would weep for days about it sometimes. It's because in their minds, it was bringing shame to their family and to the work their family was doing, and even to the faith, um, because they had failed this certain class or this certain test. Spatial awareness is different from culture to culture. I vividly remember walking down the hall hallways at the school and having to take students by the shoulders and move them out of the way because they weren't aware that there was a crowd trying to get around them in these narrow hallways. Um, and then direct and indirect communication plays into it a lot too. Some TCKs will need to learn diplomacy. They'll need to learn to measure their words and soften their words for best effect. And some will need to learn to speak up and that they're not going to be shamed for stating what they think or stating what they need. So as you can tell, it, it turns up in so many different areas of life, and we need to be looking at TCKs, not through the grid of adults who might have some cross-cultural knowledge, but through the grid of this mixture of inputs that they got in their formative years. And if you ask them to pull that apart and say, this is my Spanish part, this is my Brazilian part, this is my Canadian part, most of them would not be able to do that. And as adults with a clearer perspective, we can help them to pick out what belongs where, what is worthy and good and worth celebrating where, and the things that you might not want to cross borders with, cultural borders with. Yeah, you just you alluded to the the cross-cultural adult there. And I'm thinking, you know, for those of us who have lived overseas or even just traveled to other cultures, we might say, hey, I have some, I've picked up a little bit from this culture or that one. Um, and obviously it's different how long we've spent in that culture, how much we might have picked up. But what do you see as the kind of the bigger difference there of an adult who's spent their entire adulthood overseas versus a child who spends their entire childhood overseas or, you know, where's, where's the difference between the cross-cultural learning versus the third culture kidness? Yeah, I think it boils down to clarity. The adult will have a clear idea of what was Canadian or what was British, and then they move to, let's say, Portugal, and they'll have a clear idea of what the differences were, what they had to learn when they crossed that border into Portugal. The TCK will have, it's why I call my podcast Pondering Purple, they'll have this swirling kind of tie-dyed shade of purple in them, and to ask them to figure out what is uniquely one culture and uniquely another in the way they think and in the way they process even in the way they speak, is going to be a real challenge for them. There are still expressions that I try to use in English today that only work in France, and I didn't realize that. Um, there's terminology, there's um, ways of greeting people that I forget, oh, you know, I'm not in France anymore. Um, and it's not the obvious, you know, kissing on the cheek or whatever. It's just interpersonal um, dynamics that are unique from one culture to the other. And because we haven't had the clarity of just living in one culture for 20 years before adding to that, we don't often, we're, we aren't often able to make sense of it, to extricate one shade of purple from the other. And we need help. We need the perspective of people who aren't TCKs to help us with that clarity. And a lot of times that happens by asking questions. When we see something different, when this guy from Spain was in my class and I finally asked him, why are you behaving this way? He he got clarity and I got clarity as an adult of influence in his life. I was talking to someone recently and they said that one of the things they thought was interesting in America 
is how when Americans see each other, they say like, how did you sleep last night in the morning? There, no one would ever ask that question where they're from. <laughs> that's uh-huh. such a funny little thing that I wouldn't think it was too weird. And in some places in the world, the question you ask in the morning is, did you eat yesterday? That's, that's their greeting, right? Because that's, that's what proves that you had a good day is that you actually put food in your mouth. You mentioned earlier about relationships and how mm-hmm. relationships between TCKs is different than a TCK and a non-TCK. What are some of those things? Among themselves, so there, there are two different kind of dynamics here. There's TCKs among TCKs and then TCKs entering a more monocultural setting. Among TCKs, we've already covered, they, they meet, they recognize themselves in the other, and they go really fast, really deep, um, because of the, the even subconscious sometimes notion that time might be limited for them. You take that TCK and you bring them, say, to their passport culture for higher educational purposes. And now they're walking into an environment where people are completely monocultural. And sometimes we've done them the disservice in an attempt to prepare them for this transition. We've told them, you'll never fit in. They're so different than you. You know so much more than they do. And we've kind of prepared them for failure in that they might walk into, I did this, they might walk into their college or university setting with this idea that not necessarily that we're superior, but that there is going to be no common ground. And that's what I did. I lived for three and a half years kind of above the fray um, at the university here because I didn't think that it was possible to have real relationships. What I teach TCKs to do is to figure out what the format of relationships is in their new place. And it's not going to be, if you if you imagine a graph, the TCKs meet and that line goes down really fast, make sure that they're worth the heartache of losing them someday. And then that, that relationship stays deep. If you look at a monocul- most monocultural settings, people meet and then that line goes down really slowly, um, passing all of these stages of communication and self-revelation. And it might take months, it might take years to get to the depth that we reach in 10 minutes with fellow TCKs. So my encouragement to TCKs and to the parents who are teaching them and to the teachers who are teaching them and mentoring them is to prove to them, to convince them that there is value in doing things a different way. That in a monocultural setting, because of what they know, because of their cultural astuteness, it's their chance to show that they can be compliant with how other people do it. And they can talk about sports and the weather and TV for, you know, three months, and then they can start to reveal other pieces of themselves. And if the person is receptive to that, they can keep adding more pieces of what they bring to the relationship, but they've got to be patient. And they've got to acknowledge that we are a unique and very small people group and the rest of the world does things very differently. Man, this perspective that you bring, Michelle, I can tell it's out of not only your own experience, but also a care for third culture kids, missionary kids in particular. And, you know, we're speaking in generalizations here, recognizing that every story is different. And you can speak in generalizations because you listen to those individual stories. And, you know, you're looking for bigger picture trends, but you're also caring about these individuals who have individual experiences and so I'm just curious, how has how has that led you to the work you do now of listening to the individuals and helping be an advocate for missionary kids? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. 
there were so many um, self-inflicted injuries in my life because nobody talked about these things. Um, it was before it really became a thing to to imagine that there were TCKs out there who's, again, because the world evaluates MKs and TCKs by the monocultural adults who became cross-cultural later in life. So they couldn't imagine what it was like to grow up purple and not to grow up with clear delineations. And so my transition to college was incredibly difficult. My understanding of how to make relationships, as we've just discussed, was incredibly just fraught because I could not understand what am I doing wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Because I don't seem to be making friends in the North American context of friendship. So having gone back to BFA after that experience, back to Black Forest Academy, and I started to mentor the teenagers there. I started from an adult perspective to begin to see what their needs are. And I began to understand what all the topics were that we have avoided talking about, either because of ignorance, because we didn't know these were important to a TCK, or because of fear of actually going there. Um, Topics like like um, trauma on the mission field, like abuse on the mission field, like um, mental illness among MKs, because one of the side effects, of course, of feeling no belonging anywhere, if we're not nurtured in a helpful way, that makes us feel like we're less than. Like, why is everybody else able to belong and I'm not? It must be something I'm doing wrong. So all of that led me, when I left BFA um, nearly 10 years ago, to start this ministry, not only in consulting with families and missions and churches who sent out these families, but also in addressing some of these topics. And it really started as my blog, my website, where I started to go down each one of these topics and address them as honestly um, and helpfully as I could. I didn't want to just bring up what the problems were. I wanted to give steps to help meeting these problems. Um, and then that evolved into doing more speaking to conferences and um, MK schools around the world and teaching. And then in the summertime, I'm going to give a shout out to reentry seminars. There are some great reentry seminars in the States and in Canada. I work on the Canadian side with this, with Reboot uh, reentry retreats. Uh, there's Barnabas, there's Interaction International, there are a bunch in the States, Mukapa, who do their reentries too. I can't think of a more important Thing for a TCK to go to than a reentry seminar when they're making the leap from overseas living back to a passport culture. And it's the only time that I tell parents, just make them do it. Just They'll thank you within two hours of setting foot on the campus of wherever this is happening. They will thank you for make it, making them do it. But they're not going to want to because they'll have just said goodbye to their friends and their lives. And they'll be, whether they mention it or not, they'll be concerned about entering whatever next phase of life is waiting for them. But they will will be so well equipped and they'll be able to debrief during um, one of these reentry seminars in a way that they couldn't just by, you know, doing what kids normally do in the summertime before they start a new phase of life. So I really highly recommend it. If finances are an issue, raise the finances to send your kids to these reentry retreats. I've found it to be pivotal and maybe even life altering in the case of most of the MKs that I've worked with in that setting. Speaking of all of those goodbyes and re-entries, we're not quite at the end of the year, but that's that's coming closer. From my experience, I think the goodbye phase is kind of shocking to the adults that can't relate directly to it. What are some ways we can help our students, our children process that, that saying goodbye, that really hard goodbye? 
The first thing to acknowledge is that, and this, these are the words of my friend Libby Stevens, who was also a colleague at Black Forest Academy many years ago, who said that MKs don't just experience grief, they accumulate it and relive it. So when you see, and, and both of you have probably witnessed this, when you get close to a major milestone like a graduation, I can remember at BFA, yes, there was the celebration part of it, but it also sometimes looked like somebody had died, <laughs> like there was this wake going on. And it's because it's not just saying goodbye at graduation that they're responding to. And even today, we'd think, well, they can be on FaceTime, you know, two minutes later. So what's the big deal? Anytime that there is an opening in the walls that they build around their grief, the walls that keep them upright and functioning, anytime there's an opening in those walls, all of the accumulated grief that goes back for some of them to saying goodbye to grandpa and grandma when, when they first moved overseas, all of that grief, all of the changes, all of the departures from their life, all of their departures from their worlds to go from one place to another, all of that will come pouring through these walls. So it's important to, to know that something that feels fairly minor to a monocultural adult who has lived multiculturally for a while might feel like just this, this tidal wave of all of these emotions coming back um, to the TCK or to the MK. And typically they respond in one of four ways as they anticipate a goodbye coming. I'm going to run through them in bullet point form for you really quick. The first is the diva. This is over-the-top emotions. I mean, we're talking gnashing of teeth and <laughs> ripping of garments because this is coming. This person is, is going to leave or I'm going to have to say goodbye. The second is martyr. Anger, um, rebellion against the forces that are making this necessary. In MK's case, this can be dangerous because usually it's God that says one of us is going to move. Your friends are going to have to move away. Our family is moving or you've been called to the mission field with our family. So the martyr approach, the boxer approach, this is when the TCK will start to pick fights with people he or she loves because it's so much easier to say goodbye to somebody that you're mad at. And the fourth one is the ostrich approach. That's the, the TCK who either says it's happening, but it's no big deal, or believes until the very end that it's not really going to happen. The downside of all four of these is that they're isolating. It makes that MK or TCK less likely to connect until the very last moment with these people who are so important to them. So I think as family units, it's important, number one, to have kind of a grief structure in your family. What do we do every time somebody we love leaves? What are our symbols going to be? What are our rituals going to be? For the MK, it feels like a death, and so we need to respond to it like a death. Every culture has a burial kind of ritual. What are we going to do as a family to celebrate? what was, to acknowledge what we're losing, and then to move forward living in a season of grief. One of my articles is called Nine Steps for Living Well in a Season of Grief. And as monocultural adults, we want them to heal from it and get well and move on. For a lot of TCKs, they're going to have to live with a certain amount of latent grief in their lives. So how can they live well and fulfilled while still acknowledging the pieces of themselves that they've lost? And then it, with regard to those four approaches to saying goodbye, I think the one we need to be looking at as mentors and parents is the Last Supper, where Jesus planned something with the people closest to him. They spent time together. They didn't just all wander through the upper room just, you know, by happenstance. It was planned in advance. He told them what was coming. He told them what, what they meant to him. He served them and communicated with them until the moment of departure with full awareness that this was going to be traumatic in huge ways in his case but that this was going to be hard in the case of MKs. And if we can nurture a situation in which that can happen in an honest, 
past affirming, future expecting, moment healing way for the TCKs and MKs in our lives. I think there will be less of the acid in their grief when it comes rising up again than there has been historically. You mentioned an article, The Nine Steps to Living Well and through, through Grief, and we'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes as well as other resources. We know we're just dipping our toe in a lot of these topics, but you mentioned adult TCKs earlier, and I know you are one. As you continue to work with students and beyond those who are now into their young adulthood or adulthood, what trends are you seeing in adult TCKs and MKs, any directions they tend to lean or struggles they tend to wrestle with as adults? Well, I want to kind of put a parenthesis in here because I, I, I don't want anybody to walk away from listening to this and think I am ruining my children <laughs> by, by deciding to raise them as TCKs. The enormity of the blessing and the strength that comes from growing up as a TCK is immeasurable. You have blessed them in ways that you probably won't ever be able to fully realize, and they won't ever be able to fully tell you how incredible it was for them to grow up as TCKs. So yes, there, there are the hard things that need to be dealt with. That's what I'm committed to speaking of. But at the same time, I want to say that I would not have it any different in my own life. And there were some really hard times in my own life um, related to being a TCK and outside of being a TCK. And still, I wouldn't give it up for anything. But you asked about trends. Um, the lack of belonging is, is a trend even, well, let me tell you this story. I was at Moody Bible Institute a few years back um, during a missions conference, and a man who was probably in his late 50s, 50s, walked in off the street and was looking at my book table, and I found out that he was an adult, adult MK. And I asked him about his life, and he owned his own business. He, he had a wife, two children, probably a dog, and a dog and a picket fence. I mean, the man had everything that in terms of um, anchoring to a culture that you expect somebody to have. And just as he was getting ready to turn and walk away, I said, so how how do you still experience being an MK? And this man who had everything, his eyes filled with tears, and he said, I still don't feel like I belong anywhere. And that's why we need to so emphasize that mostly belonging in mo multiple places is your superpower. That is something, it is a gift that has been given to you, and then to help MKs to manage that. How can I most identify with the culture I am currently in? Sometimes we need to really emphasize that with their passport culture. That seems to be the one where there's most resistance to actually fitting in and embedding in that culture. So belonging is one of those things. Um, another trend is the connection, the form of connections that they make, and again, helping them to understand that monoculturals are going to make friendships differently than they do, and really compelling them to use uh, patience and to use uh, a longer timeline in envisioning the relationships they make. And then this is an interesting um, kind of two-part thing for MKs. Some MKs, I would say anecdotally, 80% of MKs have over overdeveloped wings. They want to keep moving every year, every two years. They want to just keep flitting from one place to the next because that's familiar to them. I belong to the other 20% who have over overdeveloped roots. I want to put down my roots. I want to not move um, because there's such comfort in that after living in such a highly uh, mobile world. So um, it, it actually brings up that we can't generalize that all MKs are identical. And there are some MKs who are going to do relationships differently too. There are some who decide, you know what, I'm not going to go intense anymore on relationships because it hurts too much when somebody leaves. So they live in the shallow uh, end of the pool of the relationship pool. Um, so, so generalizations about TCKs um, 
are not always entirely helpful, but knowing what the majority of them tend toward, I think can be a really helpful thing in mentoring them and walking with them through their lives and into their adulthood. Um, Some MKs are going to have an interesting relationship with marriage because they're so used to relationships coming and going. They're so used to that initial kind of high adrenaline phase. And then when marriage gets to 10, 15, 20, 30 years, they they just haven't been equipped sometimes to understand long-term relationship, or they haven't witnessed it because they've been away from grandpa and grandma and others who have been in, in those long-term relationships. So, so many trends, um, but the biggest one, again, would be unresolved grief, lack of belonging, um, and then those who are so um, aware of their superpower, of their bridge-building superpower. I see that trend more and more now of of learning to use what has been gifted them by growing up TCK for the betterment of themselves, of those they love, and of the culture around them. That's great. And even like the emphasis on the gift that it is to know, to be yes. a TCK, to grow up in that, that world. And along with that, can you tell us what are things that we can learn from those who are TCKs that are kind of gospel truths of things that reflect who God is, who Jesus is, um, what the Bible has to show us? Yeah, and I think that comes back to their bridge-building abilities. You know, we're told to go into all the world, and if anybody is uniquely equipped to do that, it's a TCK, because we don't embed in like uh, like-minded kind of subcultures, but we live on the outskirts of them. There's something called... Um, the cluster analysis. And the cluster analysis theory states that people who are alike are going to gravitate towards each other. So you see that in city blocks, you see that in um, within schools, within um, office buildings, those who are IT might all be together, administration might cluster towards each other. And that's a really natural thing that happens in most um, static environments. The TCKs, because of our reluctance to go right to the middle, to the nucleus of these little clusters, we're going to be on the outside, on the outskirts of them. And because of our experience seeing things done differently in other parts of the world, we can, with patience, with kind of careful entering into these conversations, we can start to draw people from their highly selective clusters towards each other. We can say, hey, look, these are the similarities you have. Um, These are the areas in which you can be complementary to each other. So as far as it comes to the gospel, as far as it comes to relating to others and bringing Jesus to others, we will have a cultural sensitivity um, and a cultural IQ that a lot of people don't have. We will be able to embody Jesus and to speak of Jesus in a way that isn't offensive and that is just right for that cluster that we're approaching out of our TCKness. Every week on the show, uh, we ask our guests one last question. Our final question is, what is one thing that's changing your life right now? What's changing my life is I have just started reading uh, too many books, which has actually been wonderful because I normally try and read one book and it takes me forever. But right now I'm reading like five or six books at the same time, which means to actually stay on top of them. I need to keep reading them like every day. So by reading too many books, I've actually read more than I do when I just read like one book at a time. So... That's been a dramatic life shift for me. That's awesome. That's a perfect answer when you have an author on the podcast. I right. Michelle's here. Um, for me, it's been using this uh, journal that I got for Christmas. It's called the Next Right Thing Journal, and it's actually a companion to a book and a podcast that I have loved for the past few years, and kind of helping you notice things about your life that are arrows, not answers. So kind of drawing conclusions about a season, it goes month, season, whole year. So you're not trying to jump to some big answer at one time, but, but to be 
observing things. And actually, one of the things is tracking the books that you read or, you know, the things you listen to, the things you make. So um, that's been changing my life. What about you, Michelle? I'm just sad that we don't have more time to talk. <laughs> Do we really have to make I this know. the final question? <laughs> um, a few months back when all of this this um, pandemic hit, I wrote an article that I thought was for everybody else and it ended up being for me on four four small mm-hmm. questions I can ask every day that that get me through the day in a more healthy way. So I've been doing that. And the four questions really briefly are, what small thing can I do to make me feel alive today? What small thing can I do to take the sting out of today? What small thing can I do to make today feel purposeful? Small thing, not overachiever thing. And number four, what small thing can I do to make me feel more connected to God today? And if I work through all of those, I feel like by the end of the day, I'm in a better place. That's great. Well, I think we'll be adding that to our future. What's changing our life, our lives. Thanks for <laughs> Kian and me. Thank you so much. We'll be sure to list those questions in the show notes so you can refer back to that afterwards. But yeah, thanks so much for your time today, Michelle. We really appreciate this conversation. And we know, like I said, this is just skimming the surface, but we do just so value and appreciate the work that you do to care for MKs and to help others understand more about how we can be together in community and be part of the Great Commission work in serving MKs. Thank you. I've loved being with you. And if there are any listeners who want to run their stories by me, I'm sure there'll be contact links uh, that go along with this episode. I'm happy to work with any family or individual or organization that would like to continue this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed this conversation. And now for stories from the field from adult third culture kids now serving with Teach Beyond. I'm Angela Brenneman. I grew up as a missionary kid in Lima, Peru, where I lived from ages 7 to 18. I returned to the United States for university, and I absolutely loved that experience. I'm so glad that I chose the university I went to and my major and all of that. But going back to my quote-unquote home country after not living there for so long was a huge transition, on top of the transition of leaving home, going to college, and becoming an adult. This is a huge thing for third culture kids because going to college is a big transition for anybody. There's a lot of life changes, but adding on the transition of leaving a country you've grown up in, leaving your family maybe on a different continent, being so far away from things that were familiar to you, and going someplace that, even if it's supposed to be your home, is still different, is hard. So when I was a senior in college, I got to write an honor thesis on the experience third culture kids go through when they return to their home country for university. I read a lot of research on the topic. I interviewed pretty much just a bunch of my friends who were third culture kids, and then I wrote about my own findings. This specific part of the third culture kid experience has been near and dear to my heart for over 10 years now. Currently, I work as the guidance counselor at Evangelical Christian Academy in Spain with Teach Beyond. Last year, I restarted the senior seminar class, and during the spring semester, I focus entirely on preparing the students for their upcoming transition. So it's been really cool to see that passion that I had back then um, just come to fruition now, and me being able to use what I've learned, my own experience, research, and some really great resources out there to help our own, my own students at my school be prepared maybe more than I was, and be able to experience a positive transition away from being on the mission field, from being in um, their like second country, quote unquote, and going back to, for most of them, a place that's supposed to be home, but is going to feel really different. 
Hi, my name is Will Swartz, and I live and teach in Kigali, Rwanda. I grew up as a missionary kid and third culture kid in the Philippines, where I was born, and then in Slovakia in Eastern Europe, and then ultimately in Omaha, Nebraska during my high school years. One of my favorite things about growing up as a TCK uh, was the incredible connections I had with other TCKs. I could meet a Korean TCK who grew up in Brazil, and we could just so quickly uh, connect and bond over our shared experience as TCKs. One of the places I really experienced that was through the organization MK to MK, which was a part of the mission organization my parents belonged to, where adult and college age missionary kids uh, would take time to pour into the lives of high school and younger missionary kids. That made a huge impact on my life. So when I finished college, I spent some time uh, leading mission trips and conferences uh, for MK to MK. It was on one of those trips uh, where a leader of the organization who had been a teacher at the International Christian School of Budapest challenged me to consider teaching. God used that prompting to lead me into education, first uh, for six years as a teacher in the U.S. During that time, I met my wife, who is herself a teacher and an MK who grew up in Ethiopia. And now we've spent the last three and a half years uh, with Teach Beyond, teaching students from all over the world here at Kigali International Community School in Rwanda. We are also raising our own little MKs. Uh, we have a one-year-old daughter and a baby boy on the way, and we pray that God would use our experience as TCKs as we raise these little TCKs. That was a great conversation with Michelle. And I love hearing how God has led people who grew up on the mission field to join our Teach Beyond team and serve through Culture Kids now. That is just so exciting. Yeah, it was really fun. I know that this is a much bigger topic that we could have spent a lot longer on. You can continue this conversation and learning about this topic on Michelle's website, as well as listening to her podcast. Totally. And we'll be sure to link to those in the show notes for easy access. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share this show. And as always, you can reach us at podcast.teachbeyond.org. We'll see you next week.